I, I've been um, I've been thinking about this word Hosanna. Jason mentioned it. I've, we've been saying it all morning. It's such an odd word, and and best I know, we only use it once per year, and it's on this Sunday. I, I was thinking that I the last time I checked, I didn't hear anyone in the grocery store saying, "Hey, Jay, Hosanna." <laughs> How are the kids? Have you all heard that? I, it's just a, not something we say, right? But it's something, it's something that means save us. And that is a phrase that we know. That is a phrase that we use a lot. I think back in the first century it was used differently. This phrase, Hosanna, save us. Save us from government. Save us from Rome. Make Israel great again. That was the sentiment shared on that Palm Sunday. Do you know that for 1,700 or more years, the church has practiced a Palm Sunday processional? It used to begin back in, back in Israel, and at Bethany, atop the Mount of Olives, the people would follow the bishop down the valley and up into Jerusalem, and they would wave palm branches, and they would shout, Hosanna, just like we did this morning. And some of the elements in, in the processional not only were palms, but were a cross and a carved figure of Jesus and the elements of communion and the Bible, God's holy word, all of which are, are here today too. And so we've made our way once again into Palm Sunday. We're preparing to turn our hearts now into Passion Sunday. At some point during the worship service, and, and you can do this if I get to you know, be too long-winded, early Christians would take their palms, did you know this? And they would make palm crosses out of them, a tradition we have here today too. The reason being is we know how quickly the story turns, we know how quickly life turns from Hosanna to crucify him. All within a few days. The suffering of Jesus, about which we will read and which we will experience this week, is God's final act of, of covenant, God's unconditional love for all people, where through Jesus the world is reconciled to God. We, we have a means to be reconciled to one another and even to ourselves when we're broken emotionally. We read today from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Just prior to this text, there's a, an unnamed woman in Mark's Gospel who has done something quite extraordinary. She has taken a, a, a costly basin of, of nard, of, of oil. It probably cost a year or two's worth of salary. And she broke it open and she poured it out over Jesus because the word Messiah means the one anointed with oil. She did this much to the dismay and the chagrin of her disciples. That's where we pick up the story today. I invite you as you're able to stand for the reading, the hearing, and the blessing of God's holy word. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give Judas some money. So Judas began to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to Jesus, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? 
So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of that house, The teacher asked, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And that man will show you a large room upstairs. It will be furnished and ready. Make preparations for us to eat there. So the disciples set out and went into the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed, and they said to him and to one another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and all of them drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out from the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said this to them, All of you will become my deserters. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to them, Even though all of them will desert you, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, This very night, before the cock crows twice, Peter, you'll deny me three times. But Peter said vehemently, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples said the exact same thing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm holding in my my hands here three symbols all of which really collide today in this service of worship, this liturgical time, this this season, and, and for this week. One is the palm branch that I've been waving this morning, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. The other is a palm cross that has been made from palm branches that have been ripped and torn and they've been made with love. And the other, the other, of course, is is the means by which the ashes were imposed on my forehead and and yours just a few weeks ago on Ash Wednesday. We take the palms each year on Shrove Tuesday and we burn those and we grind the ashes and we put last year's ashes on our foreheads at the beginning of the Lenten season. So here today it all comes together. A reminder about our death, a reminder about Jesus' death. The shouts of Hosanna are soon to give way to crucify him. The entire cycle of life and death, of joy and pain, of celebration and and suffering, it's all here today. It's in the palms. It's in this meal. It's in your story and mine. We've made the shift now, friends, from the Hosanna party to the gravity of Passion Week. And things are about to get real over the next few days. It's a call for us to get real with the text, which is why for 
centuries, the church on this day has made that shift from Palm to Passion Sunday, reading the accounts of what will happen this coming week. In a few days, we'll sit at the table and we'll feel so special sitting here in groups of 12 on, on Thursday, like we're part of Jesus's inner, inner circle. And then we'll go out into the garden and we'll pray and we'll promise not to fall asleep, vowing to never leave his side. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. That's what we sing. That's what we claim. But on Friday night, one night later, a very harrowing song will be sung as the lights are dimmed in the sanctuary after each of the seven words Jesus has pronounced from the cross will be asked, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they pierced his side? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when the son refused to... Sometimes thinking about such things causes one to tremble, tremble tremble. But the question I want to ask at the outset of Holy Week is not in retrospect, but in anticipation. I want to ask you, will you be there? Will you stay with this story? Will you remain with Jesus from Palm Sunday all the way to the cross and all the way to Holy Saturday and all the way to Easter Sunday? Because it's kind of easy to be with Jesus for the Hosanna party and for all of the amazing teachings and when he welcomes the little children and when he healed so many people and, and when he took a little bit of bread and some fish and fed 5,000 people and there were leftovers for several days. Or when he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's easy to stick with Jesus then. But it's hard it's hard theology to remain with Jesus during his agony because those are fight, flight, freeze moments. And I would add one more. They can be a moment of focus. That's what I pray your Holy Week will be like this week. Because we need to ask ourselves, by the time Jesus gets to the garden and he begins sweating as if drops of blood were falling into the ground, we need to ask today, what is it that agonizes Jesus? Or what is it that makes us sweat to the point of blood dropping into the soil? What, for what do we agonize? And when we read the violence that happens in the garden and Peter trying to cut off the ear of Malchus or even the violence of capital punishment that happens on the cross, we are confronted with that. We have to sit with that and say, what does this mean for the church today? And when Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver and a kiss, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'm left wondering, saying, I've sold him out and betrayed him for far less. Have you? And we say, I'll never leave you. I'll stay with you. I'll go with you all the way. And that rooster crows, were you there? Will you be there? Will you go all the way with Jesus? 
These events this week about which we will read, and I hope you'll stay with the story throughout the week, they're the rise and fall of covenant making and, and covenant breaking. We'll see it during the passion of Jesus. He will literally rise and fall as he's walking the Via Dolorosa. We'll see the rise and fall of power, and we have to ask ourselves, what is true power? And I can't help but think on the front end of all of this as the crowd was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one, save us, save us, son of David, that they were thinking, surely this Passover will be different this year. They were hoping it would be different, that it would yield an insurrection. But insurrection is about the wrong kind of power. It's never about peace. And so what does it say when the Prince of Peace was heading not for insurrection, but resurrection? What does that say about God? What does it say when we read in Luke's Gospel that as Jesus began this journey on Palm Sunday, that He stopped atop the Mount of Olives on, on the back of the donkey, and He looked over into His favorite zip code, and you know what He did? He sobbed. He cried over the misplaced values of his people. And so down the hill he went, across the Kidron Valley that had been conquered by his ancestor David, to the shouts of Hosanna, people flinging garments they, they never would get back, and palms was the sign of, of royalty. And, and here Jesus is weeping. I, I imagine that the people in the crowd were weeping too. It's like seeing one's favorite athlete or, or the Pope or, or one's favorite rock star behind the scenes. The anticipation can be so stifling and then we see the person and we just weep. You've seen that on, on television when the Pope makes the rounds, for example. So there's two different kinds of tears on Palm Sunday heading into Passion Sunday. What tears matter most? When Jesus comes and we assume that he is present to give us our heart's desire, like he's our beck and call Jesus, or should we focus on the tears of Jesus who wept for a misplaced faith, for his own disciples who, who missed it? For what, for what will we weep this Holy Week? And here's the thing, my friends. In order to see one's emotions, you've got to get close to that person. You got to get close to Jesus to see the tears. You have to get close to Jesus to hear these horroring words that he says, all of you will desert me. Now, that's the happy message you came to hear today, right? Covenants for the past five weeks of our time here in worship have been about proximity theology. God is coming for us a little bit at a time. God reveals a little more and more of, of, of God's self, but, but the irony of it all is when God comes to us as a human being, He's finally here, and what do we do? Whew. We flee. Or we fall asleep. So if covenants are about proximity and seeing the nature of God, then Passion Week is about avoidance. And there's this ebb and flow of proximity and avoidance. Like taking the two magnets, you know, and you try to push the common ends together, it just doesn't work. So something has to become uncommon for the two things to stick together. And what we see in Passion Week is God is becoming very uncommon. He's becoming human. 
to stick to us, to bind himself to us. Disciples, they mean so well. They say, we hear you, we're all in, we're going all the way, we've seen all the fun stuff. We'll remain at your side and, until things get heated. God draws near. The disciples, they want to stay awake. They just can't keep their eyes open. Or maybe they don't want to see. I, you know, it's hard to see the way of Jesus. A radical, unconditional, inclusive kind of love. That's hard. Then and now. And so I think about another story that Mark shared just a few chapters earlier. Maybe that's why he put it there. There was a blind man who, for his whole life, he, he wanted so desperately to see the Messiah. The Messiah was finally coming, and the man, he couldn't see him. So Jesus did something very gross. Do you remember that? What did he do? He spit in the dirt. He made mud, and he put it on the man's eyes. And little by little, like scales... Light and color, shapes and forms started peeking through the man could see. And if we lay that alongside the disciples who had had salvation under their nose the entire time and just missed it, they couldn't see it. And when Jesus finally, his mission and his purpose and his passion came head to head all at once in Holy Week, the disciples scattered blindly into the darkness of a garden. Passion, Passion Week, it's about proximity and abandonment, staying the course, going with Jesus all the way. And the last thing I, I want to say relates to that phrase that Jesus gave us when he said, you all will desert me. I, I want to know how heartbreaking, it's one of the questions I want to ask Jesus is, how heartbreaking, how gut-wrenching was it, Jesus, for you to tell your closest friends who were like your family. How hard was it for you to say, you're all going to desert me? I'm going to be all alone. And, and one of the revelations I've made this, this holy season, this Lenten season, is that if you stay with the gospel narrative, the, the closer one gets in the narrative to the cross, the closer Jesus gets to the cross, the less people there are. There's not 12. There's not even 11. There's not the 4,000 to whom he preached on the plain, the 5,000 whom he fed out in Galilee. There's two. His mother and the disciple whom he loved. That's it. Those are the only people left at the foot of the cross. So I want to ask us a question. When Jesus says, you'll all desert me, how do we sit with that? And I want to know the places where I'm likely to do that. To what do I turn a blind eye? Where are my blind spots in the community when it comes to relationships, when it comes to poverty, and when it comes to hungry, hunger, and when it comes to those who don't have adequate clothing or housing, because I think uh, Matthew said something else during uh, Holy Week. Jesus said something else in Matthew's Gospel during Holy Week, that when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Maybe, maybe that's what breaks Jesus' heart and causes the tears to flow and causes Him to agonize. And maybe if we want to follow the Jesus way and get close to the heart of God so that our own hearts are cut 
covenantally cut, then we have to look to the least and the last and the lost and the lonely in our community and ask, what breaks God's heart? And is that breaking our heart as well? Jesus' words from today's scripture, they're a terrifying refrain. All of you will abandon me. And we have the song, were you there? Will you be there? Will we stay in it long enough to see that despite all of the times we have fallen asleep and all the times we've sold out and betrayed Jesus and no matter how many times we've, we've turned a blind eye to the needs in the world and abandoned Jesus, that Jesus the Christ will go all the way. There is hope today that when we can't shoulder the needs of our community alone, we have each other. That Jesus took it all to Calvary. The new covenant, you see, is a, is a matter of the heart it's a matter of God's own heartbreaking, beginning on Palm Sunday when he wept, and then when he spread out his arms and said something so unbelievable, God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to you. They don't know what they're doing to each other. They don't know what they're doing to themselves. Forgive them. God's new covenant is a matter of Jesus' heart. And if we want to have a heart for Christ, then we have to ask, for what are we willing to weep that causes Christ to weep? For what do we agonize that causes Christ to agonize? How are we willing to break open and pour ourselves out so that someone else might have life? It's all here today, friends. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you up to come forward for the sacrament of Holy Communion, where we will remember the sacrifice that Christ made, but it is a means of, of Christ's grace that's present here with us. And as much as we've gone from palms to pom-poms, we, we've made that word play, here's another word play for you. We present a different kind of palm today, okay? Palms that say, Lord, as we enter into this Holy Week together, we mean well. We will do our best to stay awake and to stay with you. We'll, we'll follow you all of the way. But give us the grace and the nourishment that we need for this journey. Will you be there? Will this week cause us to tremble for that which causes Christ to tremble?